Please pray with me. Loving God, Heavenly Father, if only we will trust you. Loving God, in moments of desperation and confusion, our hearts, our lives, they weep before you. But we know that you weep with us. We pray for those this day who are hurting. We pray that you'll be with this congregation in its journey as it seeks to serve the community. And we pray now for the ministry of the word, that we might all be fed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Our reading then is Matthew chapter 25, beginning at the 25th verse. These are the words of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious. Yes, please stand. Do not be anxious about your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor about your body, what you shall put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither snow, sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are they not of more value than they? And what of you, by being anxious, can add one cubit to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, Even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O men of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? But the Gentiles seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be yours as well. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Let the day's own trouble be sufficient for the day. Amen. Please be seated. Do you know, I'm uh, very, very privileged, honoured to be with you this morning. I'm a huge admirer of your pastor. I think he's doing remarkable work. And when you think, you know, a tragedy happens in uh, Dayton, Ohio, and he's on the phone to the mayor, uh, the leaders of your denomination reach out, you know, this is ministry which makes a difference and has an impact. And um, uh, I'm honoured to both be his doctoral advisor, but more important, I'm privileged uh, to be his friend. So please, let's just thank your pastor for the gift that he is to this church and to the worldwide church. Do you know, uh, you can sort of imagine when Jesus was saying this to his disciples and to those gathered around on the Sermon on the Mount, you can sort of imagine somebody just saying, hang on, Lord, you know, really? Don't worry. I mean, do you have any idea how life is really difficult just a minute? We're living in a country that's occupied by the Romans. 
You, did you miss that on CNN? You know, Lord, there's things. Things are really stressful. You know, uh, I, I mean, you know, getting the money together to pay the bills at the end of the month. Life's really difficult. And you know, I had no idea that the Sunday that in conversation with your pastor, I said, I would like to preach on, on this is what the Lord's laid on my heart to share with you. That it'll be the day when there's a shooting for people just going to Walmart. They were only going to Walmart, for heaven's sake. They were in a club, in a, in a restaurant, on East 5th Street, in Dayton, Ohio. These places are no longer safe. And you're telling me, Lord, that I mustn't worry? Excuse me, Lord, that's really difficult. Do you know this place has had tornadoes? The clan have gathered, and now this, and you're telling me I shouldn't worry. You can hear people saying that to Jesus. And then we've got to listen carefully to Jesus' reply. You can sort of imagine what he was thinking as he heard people say, look, this teaching is too difficult, Lord, I just can't get on board with it. You can imagine him saying, look, excuse me, I know I'm on my way to Jerusalem. I know that I will be tortured. I know that the Romans will put me to death. I know that you who are deciding to follow me, you too will taste death and be martyred. So when I tell you not to worry, it's not that I don't know there's lots to worry about. So what exactly does Jesus mean? What does Jesus mean when he tells us that we mustn't worry? Okay, I'm going to do a little exercise now. We're going to stand right back. We're going to think a little bit about what's going on in this passage generally. And we're going to get to that question. What does Jesus mean we shouldn't worry even though we're in a place where there's lots of things to worry about? What on earth does Jesus mean by that? So the big picture is this. Now, the interesting thing about Matthew, the interesting thing about John's Gospel, less so in Luke and less so in Mark, is that their part of their message is the very structure of the Gospel. This is really cool. What Matthew wants to let people know, and a lot of these people were Jews, is he wants them to know that Jesus is the new Torah. Now, the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, the Torah is, of course, for Jewish people, the definitive disclosure of what God is like. It's the covenant relationship between God and the Jewish people. It is the definitive text for the Jewish person. And Matthew wants people to know that Jesus is the new Torah. Everything that Jews believe about the Torah, they should believe about Jesus. And the way he does this is really cool. Is he puts all of Jesus' teaching into five blocks. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, five make up the Torah. Then you have five blocks of teaching in this gospel. Jesus is the new Torah. Jesus is going to tell us how we need to function. And what's interesting, in the Sermon on the Mount, the first bulk of teaching that Matthew puts in, he then says, okay, you know from the Torah that you shouldn't murder. Yeah, yeah. But I want to get to the place where the triggers of murder start, which is human anger. You know from the Torah that you shouldn't commit adultery. 
I want to get to the place where the desire for another person needs to be confronted. Jesus is interested in not just what we do, but who we are. Jesus is interested not just in the action, but in the inner disposition. Jesus is interested not just making sure that when we relate to people, we don't murder them, but that we don't get angry. Jesus wants to get inside to our core, to our inner dispositions, to our hearts and to our minds. And Jesus wants the grace of God to work in that space. And then he comes to that most fundamental disposition of all, and that's that constant anxiety that we have about living in life. You know, we worry about everything. This is back to school. We'll be worrying about the kids going back to school. Too sure. We'll be worrying about their grades. We'll be worrying... Listen to this. We need you to work hard. Uh, we'll be worrying about your grades. We'll be worrying about who you're hanging out with. We want to make sure you've got good friends. We'll be worrying about all that. We'll be worrying about a test, perhaps, from a doctor. We'll be worried about the bills at the end of this month. We'll be worried about a relationship with a sibling or a friend or a partner or a spouse. We worry a lot. We worry when a kid gets in the car and drives to Manhattan. We worry all the time. And Jesus wants to get to that place and say, look, stop it. Stop it. I want you to stop all that worry. Now why? Why is worry such a sin? Why is worry so bad? Because the biggest and greatest gift that God has given every human being is the gift of simply being. Do you know, it's a miracle every day we breathe and live and function and love and laugh and eat and drink. and That is the gift of living. And every time you start worrying, you erode the moment you're living in. Every time you worry, you actually corrode the gift of the moment you've been given. Do you know, it's so funny. I had, uh, we, we've got family friends who live in Germany. And Sophia, who was 15 at the time, uh, rang Leslie and me up, my wife and I, and said, look, I want to come stay with you for a year in uh, Alexandria. Is that okay? She was an American citizen. She was born here, so she was allowed to come. So we said, sure. So, so for a year, for a year, I had a 15-year-old daughter. Now, daughters are a bit different from sons, just FYI, you know. Sons don't say anything. Daughters say a lot. But anyway, she was lovely. So I had Sophia living with me uh, and Leslie and me. And it was Christmas and I was out shopping and I said, Sophia, come with me. I've got to buy Leslie something for Christmas. You know, yours need the wisdom, uh, the female perspective. So there we were driving along. And suddenly she turns to me and she says, Ian, how many days are there in an average life? How many days in an average life? What a great question, eh? So, of course, we've all got these, you know, mini computers. So, 365. We decided to be optimistic. We trust we're just like Dr. Brown and we've got good genes. So, we went for 80. We're going to go for 80 years, all right? 80 years. 80 times 365 is, I've written it down, 29,200 days. And I said to her, 
Good heavens, 29,200 days. If you convert that into dollars, it's about the same value as the Subaru Outback I was driving. <laughs> Life is a Subaru Outback. I never knew that before. And we started having a great conversation. We started talking about, wouldn't it be cool if we celebrated every thousandth day? Then you would have a big birthday going around the year. And it was, all, it was a great conversation. But then she suddenly said, so how many days have you used up? <laughs> so, I'm 56. I'm 56. 56 times 365 is 20,440 days. That's only... 8,600 days to go. (laughs) Do you know, brothers and sisters, life is short. Every day is precious. We need to listen to Jesus. We've got to live in today. Not in tomorrow, not next week's test, not what the kids are going to do when they graduate. You're going to live for the gift of the day that God has given us all. You've got to live in that moment, says Jesus. And then Jesus goes on and gets very practical. Jesus says, look everybody, I'm going to give you a newsflash. Worry never helps. Juni uses a joke, he says... What person could add a cubic of length? A cubic's that length. To your height, okay? By worrying. It makes no difference. Worry makes no difference. The kid who gets in the car to drive to Manhattan, your anxiety won't make a difference to the safety of that car and the safety of that journey. All it does is it messes up the evening you're having with family and friends. That's all it does. Worrying about that test with that doctor next week. The test will be what it is. Thank God for the gift of the moment you're in. Jesus says worrying never makes a difference. Worrying never helps. Worry does not change things. And then he goes to an extraordinary and challenging place. He says, look, the truth is that we've all got to learn to trust God. We've got to learn to trust God. See, the thing is, God really exists. I know, it's a big shock to us all, isn't it? God really is there. And guess what? God is the coolest friend you can possibly have. Why? Because he's the creator of everything that is. This universe is huge. And God loves you. Now remember, this isn't saying that everything in this life is going to be okay. Jesus still went to the cross. The disciples were still martyred. But it is saying, God always sees the big picture. And there's nothing that can happen to us that will separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. Nothing. And we've just got to trust that. So, so you get the feel here? First of all, you shouldn't worry because it spoils the gift of the day that God's given you. Second of all, you should not worry because it makes no difference to what's going to happen. Third of all, 
you shouldn't worry because you should trust God. And then, right towards the end, Jesus says, look, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Do you know, I always end up quoting King James Version. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. What's all that mean? Right, remember, Jesus is talking about the reign of God here. The reign of God. That means, see, the kingdom, the idea of the kingdom, we're all part of it. The kingdom is a group of men and women, children, who've committed to living under the reign of God. That's what the kingdom is. Living as God wants us to be, fully human, fully present. And if we commit to living under the reign of God, then we become part of a community which actually answers some of the prayers that we make of God. In other words, the way church works is I look out for you and you look out for me. When somebody needs a ride to the doctor, somebody gives them that ride. When somebody's lost, somebody is facing problems, you know, we get some meals around there and we help out. That's how the kingdom works. So there's a vision here. There's a remarkable vision which gets to who we fundamentally are, our inner dispositions. We start living life as if we really value it and appreciate the gift of every day, however many more days that God gives us. We live life without anxiety because it spoils the moment we're living in and anxiety makes no difference. We live life trusting that God is. And we live life as part of a community who are committed to living under the reign of God and therefore we're there for each other. That is the vision of this gospel. Do you know, I spent a lot of time reading uh, boring articles, but I came across something just very recently which I thought was fascinating. There's a huge literature by sociologists about the fact that if you go to church... You add literally years to your life. Do you know, church is like the gym. Church is like eating your vegetables, okay? It's it's really healthy for you. In 1996, there was a pivotal study done, which demonstrated people who went to church more than three times a week. Now, that's going some. That's pretty impressive. Now, this week, you might well have done it because you were here. Some of you were here yesterday. You're here today. You did vacation Bible school. Whoa! You are getting the health benefits of church big time. Now, what's very interesting about these studies is sociologists, they tend to be a pretty secular bunch. And, you know, they thought, hang on, this sounds so implausible. They have had something like 15 studies since, and all of them have confirmed the same finding. Regular church attendance, and incidentally, you've got to go. You know, loving the Lord Jesus at Starbucks, loving the Lord Jesus on the golf course, you don't get the health benefits, okay? You've actually got to go to church. All right, so... So, they did subsequent studies, and even those who just regularly come once a week, you are going to outlive your secular brothers and sisters, your neighbours, by two years. Isn't that interesting? And for ages they just said, well, it's because, you know, the people who go to church are the sort of people who live healthy lives. So you're less likely to smoke, less likely to drink, you're more likely... But do you know... Yeah, no. (laughs) Okay, okay. I thought I was at the Baptist church. 
Okay, right. So, but so then, in 2016, Harvard University did a, a study of just nurses. Just nurses. Now, the interesting thing about nurses is, in terms of socioeconomic, you know, they were very similar. And even with nurses, they discovered that regular churchgoers, on average, outlived their secular nurse friends by two years. Do you know that's... uh, I can't do the maths. Almost 824 extra days. (laughs) So why? Why? What difference does church do? What is it about church that is as good as vegetables and exercise? And I'll tell you what it is. It's because of Jesus and because of the gospel we've just heard. The what church is, is a training ground to get our insides right. Because worry doesn't help you live longer. Worry doesn't extend your life. If you learn to trust God, if you learn to look at tragedy in this world and see grace in it, if you learn to see that there's hope even in the hopeless moments, that is the skill that church teaches. And that's the reason why you can sneak off and have a Dunkin' Donuts. Because you've already done something good for your body and soul today by being here at Bethel. You know, this is a sobering day in many ways. And we will be praying for the lives that have been devastated, for the families that will never recover, for the aching gaps and shock and anger and pain that those lives are having to cope with. And we'll remind ourselves afresh of the gift of every moment that God grants us. And let us all recommit afresh to trusting that God and taking every moment of worry arises. And we will. We'll have a moment when, you know, the kids are going off to school. We'll we'll, we'll want to wrap them with our arms and we'll want to say, look, we love you. You're allowed that moment when you think to yourself, I'm worried about you. And then what we all must do is just turn that worry into a prayer and give it to Jesus. And then let it go. And focus on the moment that God has given us to do what God wants us to do. Let us pray. Loving God, we just thank you for the gift of you in our lives. We thank you for the fact that we, you are our greatest friend. You are our heavenly Father who seeks to watch over us and surround us. And we ask that you'll enable us to live life really believing in that truth and help us turn every worry into a prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.